0: Welcome to the Parental Development Podcast. I'm Leah. And I'm Becca. And we're two sisters, one with kids. And one without. One with questions. And one with answers. One who's a licensed psychologist. And one who
1: just wants everyone to hear what she has to say. We both have a heart to see parents succeed and
0: kids thrive. In this podcast, we'll be discussing a variety of topics, all with the goal of promoting conversation and learning. Thanks for joining us. Let's chat.
1: Hey everybody! Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. As always, we're glad you're here, and as always, I have no idea where we're going. So now that's not well, true. <laughs> technically, technically, don't be fibbing. Well, we have a topic, but I have no idea where you're where you're steering this ship. So
0: me and the listeners are all in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> so take us well, where you will. Well, first of all, we would just like to say we have recently. We learned it was a fuse. We were talking about right. fuse Not a fuse in the last episode. <laughs> Not a wick. It was a fuse. Okay. We get it. Oh, we got it. it. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> it had been a long day. Word finding issues tend to go away when you're, <laughs> when you're at the end. So yes, we know it was a fuse. We'll try to do better. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that was your vocabulary test for the week.
0: That's right. We failed. All right. So I want to talk a little more about attachment. And honestly, I started thinking about it. I mean, I think about it regularly. But I started thinking about it much more in depth because I was watching season two of the documentary (laughs) Cheer.
1: Is it a documentary?
0: Or is it a a docu-series? docuseries? What's the difference? Well, I guess a series would be a show. It's a docu-series.
1: Okay, that just means it's a a show. That's not one. That's not the question I was going to ask. But I feel like it's scripted. But I don't think any reality show is actually reality anymore. Ever since like the first episode of The Real World and the first episode of Survivor, everything beyond that is like, it's just scripted television.
0: That might be, I think this is fairly unscripted because a lot of their people did some really horrible things during, you know, season one to season two and they covered it all. So.
1: Oh, I've never seen it. So I'm going strictly off what you're saying. So.
0: You should watch it. It's pretty good. Okay. (laughs) I'll
1: add it to my watch list. (laughs)
0: So Cheer, it's on Netflix. And the reason I started thinking about it, and I hope enough people have seen it to understand. I will try to, it's very popular. I will try to explain it in a way that if you haven't seen it. You don't need to. Although maybe a little bit of a spoiler alert. So, I mean, I'll do the best I can. But it's a technical college, a community college. And so kids, many kids are coming there like right out of high school. They're younger, 18 to twenty. 22 ish, maybe. And just like anything else, this coach has developed a team, a very good team there. They, you know, win nationals in their division regularly. And so many of the kids who come there are coming from troubled backgrounds Mm. and without having consistent caregivers or parents in their childhood. And they come and this coach becomes like their mom. Right. So there's this one specific male cheerleader that comes there. His name is Ladarius. (laughs) And he, throughout the first and second season, they tell his story. I don't think he ever knew his dad. Dad wasn't involved. He saw his mom get arrested when he was, I don't know, eight or nine years old. And then, you know, assume kind of like bounces through the system back and forth. Anyway, just didn't have any consistency Mm -hmm. throughout his childhood. Which, if you go back to the two episodes we did on attachment, in my mind, by definition, his attachment system was disrupted. Mm-hmm. If we go all the way to, like, best case scenario, it wasn't disrupted until his mom got arrested when he was eight or nine. But she got arrested for drugs, and he talked about the inconsistency. You know, he was raised in, like, this one-room apartment mm-hmm. with five or six siblings. You know, so... yeah. My psychologist mind says things were inconsistent even before that. Right. And understanding kind of what that environment likely created for him in childhood, he was disrupted for a while, for Mm -hmm. a long time. Okay. So then he comes to this college and this coach, Monica, (laughs) he talks about her and says very blatantly, she's like my mom. She's my mom. Mm -hmm. And Monica talks about him of like, he's like one of my kids. He goes to their house for holidays. They spend a lot of time together. She pays for his, like, dorm deposit. Mm -hmm. It is very clearly, especially in that first season, half of the second season, a very clear attachment relationship that formed between these two. Yeah. Okay. So then, about halfway through season two, all hell breaks loose. So first of all, what happened is COVID happened. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Their um, competition was canceled. Everybody had to go home. The pandemic affected them like it affected all of us. And right. there was isolation, disconnection, all those things. Then they come back to school in the fall. And Monica, this is such a weird thing to talk about, but she <laughs> went and did Dancing with the Stars. Okay. All right. So she was gone the first semester. She was not there. mm And she put in this assistant who had been on the team with Ladarius just a few years before. Anyway, they focus on that. And he got pissed, truly pissed, and eventually left, left in like the middle of the semester, went out Mm -hmm. in a blaze of glory. And started going on Instagram and doing all kinds of things, making allegations. Now he's making allegations that Monica was abusive. Mm -hmm. You know, he since then has said like really horrible allegations about she encouraged recruiters to sleep with underage kids to get them to come there. I mean, like all these Mm -hmm. things, accused him of grooming kids. And so they document what it does to Monica. She's very hurt and upset by it and says like he was like one of my kids I don't understand what happened Mm -hmm. and they document him of him saying all these horrible things and saying like she she's not the same person anymore what I'm saying is true Mm -hmm. all these things I knew what I was doing I was the only one who could tell her la 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 okay so that's that's the drama on the documentary okay (laughs) why it matters I believe what I see in that is a fairly good illustration of what attachment disruption looks like in late adolescence, early adulthood, or what it can. Okay. And so this kid, many people would have said, like, his attachment disruption was repaired or was fixed because he had this new relationship with Monica. Mm-hmm. That that, for all intents and purposes, was a pretty, from the outside looking in, a fairly healthy, reciprocal, supportive loving relationship that Mm -hmm. benefited the two of them and the two of them felt similarly about one another cared about each other and he was making progress in that area and it is true that you know his behavior got better he was kind of he would pop off and get angry and you couldn't come come down from it he couldn't relate well to other people that improved in the two-ish years he had been there Mm -hmm. largely because of this relationship he had with his coach Okay, And that is what you would expect to see for someone that has this attachment disruption in early childhood. They often are real unpredictable. Mm
2: -hmm. And,
0: you know, we talked about how, you know, they think differently about the world, people and themselves. And so that causes that unpredictability and they have a hard time trusting other people. Mm -hmm. And so peers and that kind of stuff is very challenging for them. They often also can look fairly narcissistic. Because in their mind, they have to kind of stay above everybody else Mm -hmm. in order to stay distant, right? And so it can often turn into what feels like real arrogance and narcissism. And Ladarius certainly demonstrates that kind of throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Then I think what people would say then about like this whole falling out or whatever, I don't know what they would say about it. You know, he spins it one way, which is very skewed, in my opinion.
2: Mm -hmm. But
0: really, in my psychologist's mind, what happened is his attachment figure left him.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And in his mind, likely, although I don't know that he has any awareness of this, abandoned him Mm -hmm. again. He was abandoned again. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And then what you can, I think, pretty easily get to is this idea of see I did it again. I let myself do it again. I got Mm -hmm. close to that woman. I let her in. I -hmm. trusted her. I cared about her. I let her know me. And see, she did the exact same thing. She left me just like everybody else does. Mm. And to me, what I see in that is all of these defenses going back up to Mm -hmm. say, like, nope, not doing it ever again. Mm -hmm. Way back how kids interact or feel or you know, what their behavior looks like early on, he had dropped even just a few of his defenses with her. Mm-hmm. And in his mind, that led to his abandonment again. And then we were off to the races. Mm. And then nothing could get him back. Because in his mind, he really believes she had done this horrible thing to him. Mm hmm. And in her mind, she thinks, like, I was gone for like two months. Mm -hmm. I came right, I was coming right back. I talked to you on the phone. You knew I was coming back. What's the big deal? Mm -hmm. And it feels very, and it is very disproportionate to what is happening and really hard to understand. Right. Because our logical, not attachment disordered brain says, You knew I was coming back.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Why are you doing this? This doesn't make any sense. And so then we often start to, to give all kinds of, you know, they're bad people or they're X, Y, or Z. I saw a little boy that was abandoned mm-hmm. and he didn't know what to do with that. It mm-hmm. really hurt him. He can't sit, tell anybody that he's hurt. Right. And so instead he goes right back to lashing out, making accusations. That's a very common thing in kids with attachment, mm-hmm. true attachment disruptions. They make all kinds of allegations. Against the people they care about the most. Why is that? very common. I think because they expect to be abused. And so sometimes they make allegations for that reason. Sometimes it's that whole thing like, you're going to leave me on my terms. Mm -hmm. Knowing, right, if I'm in foster care and I make an allegation against my foster parents, more than likely I'm getting moved. Mm. And so sometimes it can contribute to that self-fulfilling prophecy we talked about where the allegations make them bounce more, mm-hmm. which, while damaging to them, feels more appropriate to them. Mm-hmm. It feels like, right, that's what they're worthy of. That's what they deserve. That's what feels comfortable. And so they make allegations against lots of people, therapists, mm-hmm. teachers. Yeah. It's super, super common. Uh, they're not feeding me. They're abusing me. All kinds of things. And that's what he started to do. This Ladarius, he really like went at her real hard and made some real damaging allegations against her.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. That's sad. That hurts my heart. <laughs> yeah, it's it's super sad because, you know, as you as you see, certainly him, but but all of these kids and adolescents, they can very often end up alone. Mm-hmm. They end up completely alone. Or surrounded by people, they're not alone alone, but they're around people that are just takers and Mm -hmm. not good people. Because when you get to the point where you cannot allow yourself to have close, meaningful, emotional relationships with people, Mm -hmm. but you still have such a desire for connection, you end up with people that just either take stuff from you or your, your relationships are purely transactional, right? Like they'll be friends with you as long as they can get something from you. Mm-hmm. So it kind of feeds that connection itch, but isn't a real relationship and it's not people that really care about you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these kids and young adults end up being taken advantage of pretty significantly because they've lost the ability to kind of discern who's appropriate and who's not because it feels less scary to be with someone that doesn't really care about you Mm -hmm. then you enter those relationships over and over again when the people who really care about you are thinking like hello I'm still here all you got to do is come back right and they just they can't allow themselves to do that and so they can often get themselves into some pretty dangerous risky just unhealthy Mm -hmm. places relationally and physically because they're just seeking these things that aren't good for them or aren't, they feel good to them, but they're not healthy for them. They're not great for them.
1: I mean, this is a simplistic statement, but like seeking those things in essence out of just like a biological need for connection, for attachment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Cause I mean, the alternative I suppose is right. Like you sit in your, sit in your house all day or you don't do anything or, and so we're still social beings. Right. And this is true of any age person with attachment disruptions their relationships are very surface mm-hmm. they are not intimate and i don't mean that from a physical intimacy kind of way i mean like they are not emotionally intimate relationships because that is too scary
2: mm-hmm. and so
0: yeah that that need for connection is still there it's just tempered by the other system that says but not too close Mm-hmm. You can have connection, but not connection, mm-hmm. not the real kind of connection. And so they end up, a lot of kids, this is how they get into gangs, mm-hmm. because gangs tend to be very transactional, mm-hmm. and they will feel like the people they're in a gang with are supportive of them and like them and care about them, and really, that's not really the case. They're using you for you know whatever you might be willing to do for them, but yeah. to them- that's all they know, and that's what feels comfortable. And so it's, it's relationships at at an arm's length, mm-hmm. which for them is comfortable. Mm. It makes me just think about you know any any parents that have teenagers, young adults with these attachment you know disruptions. I know when I talk about attachment, some people will say like, well, I have teenagers, so that doesn't really apply to me. We all have an attachment system.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It stays with us forever.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And our attachment system gets what we call like tickled or activated at different points always. Mm -hmm. If I have a negative, even now as an adult, if I have a negative interaction with my mom, Mm -hmm. depending on what my attachment system and relationship was like throughout all of my childhood, that is still embedded in me. Mm -hmm. And it makes me often respond exactly like I did when I was a little kid. And I think Mm -hmm. like, what the heck? what the heck? Why does that impact me so much? Or mm-hmm. why does that why does that matter to me? Or why am I so worked up about that? Or why does that hurt my feelings so much? It's all interconnected with, well, that's how it developed. And so that still stays with me throughout my life. Yeah. And so if you have kids who are, you know, adolescents or early adulthood, it's not that attachment doesn't matter, or you don't need to know about it, or that kind of thing. It certainly changes as they get older, and attachment throughout adolescence, even healthy attachment shifts, and it's supposed to, right? Like, teenagers are supposed to become more independent. They are supposed to pull away from parents. I think we all know this, but there's all kinds of research that, like, peers really are the, the most important people and the most influential people for adolescents. As a parent, that's a little bit terrifying, but, you know, it is what it is. That's just the the reality. And so my attachment with my child is going to change as they they become an adolescent, but that doesn't mean it's not important and I don't need to pay attention to it. I work with a lot of teenagers who have attachment disruptions that started in childhood. And I think we talked about this in those couple episodes about attachment that in order to resolve that ever in life you have to repair it you have to go back and repair it and so just because they're an adolescent doesn't mean that's not still the goal or that's not still the way in which we would repair some of that attachment and so I have worked with parents foster parents grandparents Guardians, I mean, like whoever, teachers sometimes, to say we got to repair this kid's attachment, even though he's fifteen. Mm-hmm. And so, what? How do we do that? What do we need to do? It looks very similar as far as needing to go back and attach with them like you would a, ch- a young child, which is real tricky as they get older.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But I've seen some attachment, like pure attachment therapists. I've seen them where they'll have, you know, an adolescent and their parents come into a room and they'll have that teenager lay on the lap, like put their head in the lap of their parent.
2: Mm.
0: And kids with an attachment disorder, that does not feel good to them. They Mm -hmm. will. I've seen like their legs start bouncing and they start moving or they can't handle it. You know, they'll do things like try and encourage eye contact, which, again, if you think of a baby, that's that's how we initiate attachment They'll give them assignments of like, you need to do like five hugs a day. And I want you to lay in their lap for 20 minutes a day. That kind of thing, which we, I think as kids get older, we think like, that is silly. Yeah. That is weird. (laughs) Well, and I think, does that work? Yeah, it does. That's crazy to think about. Well, we're rewiring those neurons, right? Like we need... If that is how connection is made, that's how connection is made no matter what age we are. And if you think about even healthy relationships in adulthood, there are components of all of that. Mm -hmm. Of I would give you a hug and I would talk to you and look you in the eye and I would be okay in proximity with you and Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. People with attachment issues, not so much. There's a, usually a lack of eye contact. They don't like proximity to other people, certainly not their caregivers or their their people. So, yeah, it it can work. There's got to be some other stuff, you know, surrounding it. But yeah. it be just becomes so... A lot of times it's really hard for parents to do that with teenagers because it just is so awkward.
1: Yeah, it sounds awkward.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Which I think is also why, like, it's so... I don't know. At what point does that change? It, it wouldn't be awkward for my nine-year-old to come lay with me. No. Yeah. When does it shift to think like, you're too old for that. You're too old for hugs or you're too old. I mean, it's... I don't know. I not say you're too old for hugs, but like there is, a, there is a spot somewhere that that shifts and now it's like, that's strange.
1: Let me ask you this because I'll always, not always, but I've heard a lot of like my friends that have kids that are older, right? Whether they're middle school and they're getting up there, and they're high school, and they they say something like, you know, especially boys, right? Mm-hmm. There will be a day when he he won't want to hug me, or he won't, you know, he's getting out of the car to go to school, and you know, he won't turn around and say, "I love you, mom." Like, is that just a like a society, like a I want to say peer pressure thing? That do you think that that is a factor in that re- part of that like what you said like when does that stop is it just like oh their friends would make fun of them so they stop doing it or is it do you know what i'm asking
0: yeah yeah i think like does the kid have something to do yeah. with when that stops? yeah yeah i think i think partly i think again much of that is developmentally appropriate and normal right and there is supposed to be a pulling away and autonomy that develops in adolescence. That is supposed to happen. As parents, that doesn't feel great, but hopefully it gives people a little bit of comfort to know like that's you're not doing anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with them. That's supposed to happen. Let it happen. You're still okay. So I do think that's that's probably part of it. However, what I would say is there should still be at home
2: mm-hmm.
0: in the hard times a sense of connection. Mm -hmm. So what what I tend to look for, even really into adulthood, is when when it gets hard, there should be their parents may not be the first people they go to because they should and probably would go to their friends, Mm -hmm. at least in some on some level. But there should still be a sense of connection and comfort that is sought by a caregiver Mm -hmm. in an attachment relationship. And again, that is true as we age. It shifts maybe. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, and many of us, I think I said this in one of the episodes, right? Of like, I'm sick. Just want to go lay on my mom's couch. I want her to make me something to eat. An egg sandwich. (laughs) An egg sandwich. That's what we get when we're sick. (laughs) But there's also a connection. I have Now I have a different attachment figure. My husband is a different attachment figure for me. Mm -hmm. When I have a hard day, he's the person I want comfort from him or in Mm -hmm. other situations, I want comfort from my friends Mm -hmm. or I want comfort from, right. There's still a seeking of comfort. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't have to remain parents as kids age. And it's not, again, it's not supposed to, but there should be like an underlying thread in there. And I would say like the harder the situation the more I would hope to see a turning to an attachment figure.
2: Mm-hmm. Again,
0: maybe not for every little thing. that That's going to be their peers. It just is. We all need to just be okay with it and accept mm-hmm. it because that's just what they're supposed to do. But I would hope that as we continue to attempt to strengthen that attachment, that there would be an underlying thread of I can still get comfort from my parents or my attachment figures, my mm-hmm. caregivers, whoever that might be when that is nowhere to be found, then I think our kids start to really struggle. Mm -hmm. That's when I think they would start to have some, some issues moving forward.
1: Yeah, well, I just think about, I don't remember what episode we talked about it, but if I never talk to my kids about anything, then I can't expect them, when there is a big hard thing, to come and talk to me. Yeah. And obviously that's... Just the environment and the relationship that I build with my kid, whether it's shutting down emotions, whether it's whatever that is, how or is it factored into that attachment? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. We've talked about this, I think, over and over again. Anything you start earlier is easier. Mm -hmm. As it relates to all of this emotional development, attachment, all of it, mental health stuff is earlier. Earlier intervention is always better. So... The odds of you being able to maintain this kind of attachment with your adolescent is better if you've started from birth. I mean, that's just, just where we're at. Mm-hmm. That does not mean, like we've said over and over and over again, that it's ever too late to start that. What this might look like, and again, I say attachment, I am. I am almost always talking about ongoing attunement. And so what I think you would see in teenagers that... Really, have never been able to have conversations with their parents, or maybe haven't felt validated or connected much. What you might see is a parent that knows something is wrong yeah. with their kid, mm-hmm. because we know our kids enough to know something's wrong with him. But there is no, there's not enough connection for that kid to feel safe enough to talk about it. And now, listen, it does not mean that every time your kid doesn't tell you something that means you've like done something wrong and they're not safe enough and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Some of it is developmentally appropriate. Right. But if you're in that spot and you have teenagers already and you think like, I'm too late, I've missed the boat. That is where I would start is a reattunement when you know something is wrong. I think a lot of parents, then they just leave them alone. And A, that's what they tell you they want. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so I'm a big believer An advocate for like if they tell you that leave them alone that doesn't mean you like walk away close the door never to return again Mm -hmm. it means there is still this ongoing attunement of okay I will leave you I can see that something is wrong and I just want you to know that I want to hear about it when you are comfortable telling me Mm -hmm. or I will leave you alone I'm going to come back in 20 minutes because I care about you and I can tell that something is wrong and Mm -hmm. I want you to know that I'm here with you or I know you may not feel comfortable talking to me about that. Would you write it down? Do you want to like write something back and forth? Mm-hmm. Is there anybody else you would like to talk to? Do you want to talk to my friend or
2: mm-hmm. your aunt
0: or your teacher? Is there somebody you can talk to? Because I care. It's really hard to, to like we've said, go back and all of a sudden convince your teenager. You can give it to me. I'm safe. Mm-hmm. You can. I will. I, you won't be in trouble. I won't overreact. If you have a history of doing that it's going to be really hard to just magically convince them today's Mm -hmm. the day you can get all of your stuff when likely this is a big thing if it's so big that you can tell something's wrong. Right. So that probably is not going to happen. But what you can do is start that validation process Mm -hmm. and start using different words and start Using behaviors that are different and just more attuned to them, mm-hmm. much like you would if you had a little five-year-old that you know can't tell you what's really wrong,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but you want to comfort them. What would you do? You might try to get close or you might rub their back or you might listen to music together. Or you might just sit with them. All of those same, same kinds of things that, again, we think are weird when my kid is 15, mm-hmm. but truly it's the same function. It is the same. It's the same And as much as your kid will let you do, that's what I would do. I mean, go lay in bed with them. Mm -hmm. If you have a teenager truly and you feel like disconnected and there's something wrong and you don't know, I mean, I would ask first, don't just crawl in bed with them. But go lay in bed with them and say, like, I'm just going to lay here Mm -hmm. for 20 minutes. Or if you want to talk, I'll talk. Or you talk about something completely different. Like you just Mm -hmm. start. As you know, bedtime is always the place I tell parents to start. Mm Mm-hmm and this is I do this professionally. It's the easiest place to start and start to be attuned and build connection because mm-hmm. just everybody's defenses are down. Mm-hmm. And you're in the dark, you don't have to look at each other. It's just easier. So you could start there. But I don't want people to think this whole idea that it's too late because my kid is 14, 15, 16, whatever. Or it doesn't matter this whole this whole attachment mumbo jumbo doesn't matter because my kid is 14, 15, 16. Mm -hmm. And that has already been set. Or I'm too late. Or, you know, you're just talking about little kids and that doesn't apply. Again, little kids become big kids and big kids become adults. We are all at the core, like I am a little four year old. Mm -hmm. When when you really like bust me open and something bad happens to me, I go back to being a child that, mm-hmm. that needs the same comfort and support that I needed then. And we tend to look at our teenagers as though they're there are many adults, and they just aren't.
2: Mm-hmm. They're
0: just not. They're closer to children than they are adults, for sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you even
1: referenced it, too, like if you were to get in a disagreement with mom or a fight with mom or, you know, we even talked about it on the episode where we kind of did some of our own work. The messages that we grew up hearing subliminally or unconsciously or whatever, the subtle messages that we heard were in order to maintain our attachment and that relationship, you're quiet, you are subservient, Mm -hmm. you defer to other people. Like those are the messages that we got. So it does apply to us in adulthood that still matters because if in my adulthood, I think that in order for me to have maintain relationships with the people that I care about, I have to not say what I want, what I think, or what I feel, or what I need. That's my attachment. Like that. Correct. that is directly reflective of the messages that we got growing up. And so right. it is very, I don't want to say ignorant, but it's very, it's not accurate to think that attachment only applies to kids up till age 12 or, right, you know, whatever, because it does affect us as adults and therefore as teenagers. And so, yes, there is such a huge importance of it's never too late. Even now as an adult, like doing my own work, like I'm still doing that. And right. so, yeah, it applies just as much to me as it does to a 15 year old as it does to my three or four or five year old.
0: Right. And the therapeutic term for this is a corrective experience, right? Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of times, even in therapy, we're trying to give clients, people, a corrective experience. And that's what we're doing with this parenting thing, especially if you have older kids. Mm -hmm. They come into this situation thinking they know how you're going to respond because they're basing it on Mm -hmm. every other time you've responded to them. And so the first time you give them a corrective experience or something completely different, they are going to think like, who the hell are you and what did you do with my mom?
2: Because
0: mm-hmm. this is not <laughs> how this was supposed to go. <laughs> and so they still are not going to trust it. Mm-hmm. That is the work of attachment of, I'm just going to show you again, mm-hmm. because these neurons that wire together are now fire together. But as you start having that same experience, and now it gets wired with something else.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You can strengthen that wiring, and the previous wiring can lessen and sometimes even break away, mm-hmm. and you rewire those neurons with a different outcome. That is what, ther- that is what therapy is. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And that is what parenting can be mm-hmm. in making this shift. So I am really trying to just rewire those beliefs that now my caregivers are going to be validating and responsive and connected and safe.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And it is going to take over and over and over again, because think of how many times it took for those to get wired together initially. Mm -hmm. So now we have to do all that work to rewire those In a way, that is something that we want them to be wired to. Mm -hmm. I don't want that to be wired thinking that I'm going to tell them they're silly for being sad. Mm
2: -hmm. I don't want
0: that to be the wiring. And so that is not on that kid to change that wiring and just believe me because I said, and how how dare you not take my word for it? And you're just being stubborn and all those things that we say in relationships Mm -hmm. when really they're thinking like, I have no evidence to believe. Right. This is going to be different. Right. That's our job. That's our job to do the rewiring, to give them a different experience enough that those neurons start wiring together differently. And that's what it is. And again, that is never too late because that is what I do in therapy, whether I'm working with a four-year-old or a 64-year-old.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm rewiring those connections.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And our brains remain plastic and malleable. And so that is the work even of teenagers. Is it harder than a four-year-old? Yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Can it be just as rewarding and just as successful? Yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's what I want, you know, people to understand. And this whole Ladarius thing, <laughs> what it illustrated for me, to me, it was so clear, mm-hmm. so clear that she just didn't get back to him fast enough. If she ha- I think if she had gotten back or he would have stayed, it would have given her opportunities to just slide back in and redevelop the pattern that he was accustomed to. He couldn't do it though when he he left.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: so then that divide just got more and more. But to me, again, it was just a very clear illustration of the work that can be done with this older group
2: mm-hmm. that
0: as parents, they tend to just kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say give up. That's not what I mean. But really just feel like, well, they're, they're already out, almost out of my house. What can I do? You can do a lot even if you just start that rewiring process and then Mm -hmm. they get into other relationships that kind of boost that and that kind of thing, it can be just as rewarding and promising and they can make just as much progress in that as if you got to them earlier. Yeah, which I've talked to you about
1: this example, but I worked at a high school and there were a couple kids that I kind of like took under my wing or whatever. And there was one, one girl and It was in Indiana and so it was in the dead of winter and I felt bad because she was walking like, I don't know, like six or seven blocks in the dark in the morning to catch the bus. So I started picking her up for school every day. I would Mm -hmm. leave my house early. I would go pick her up. I would park in her driveway. She'd come out. We'd go to school. We'd talk on the way to school as much as teenagers will talk to you. I did that like maybe for six weeks. Then she got mad at me for something Mm -hmm. and wasn't talking to me like she legitimately would not talk to me. I kept showing up to pick her up for school every day. I would go park in her driveway. She would get in my car. She wouldn't look at me. She wouldn't talk at me, <laughs> but we would ride to school. She would get out of the car. She would go into the school building all day long. And then some yep. days I would take her home from school too. wouldn't talk to me until yep. eventually. And I don't know how long it put, I think it was probably two or three weeks. I picked her up yeah. and took her home from school every single day. And she would not talk to me. And then all of a sudden, she started talking to me again. Yeah. And so it was just like, I mean, that's another just a simple example of I didn't have to say anything. No. Nope. All I had to do was be consistent and do what I said I was going to do and let her know that I was there. Yeah. And then eventually she learned to trust that. And then we could talk. To, and I think eventually we did talk through why she got mad at me, why, why she wasn't talking to me and da, 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 da. But it took that two or three weeks of her testing to see if I was going to dip out on her yep. or I was going to stay for her to feel comfortable enough to trust me enough to have that conversation. And it's the same thing. It's even more so, I think, with your own kids. But there's power in that and just being consistent and just being there.
2: Yeah. I think
1: that in and of itself can build a lot of trust to maybe one day have those conversations if they're not comfortable
0: now. Having those. Right. Yep. Absolutely. That's the work. We're going to keep doing it, y'all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. We're going to leave it there for this week. Thank you very many. We Thank will see you, you.
1: <laughs> next week. Have a great week, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Parental Development. If you found this helpful at all, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you choose to stream. And if you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, email info at parentaldevelopment.com. We'd love to hear
0: from you to know that someone else is actually listening. And remember, we're all doing the best we can in this parenting thing. So survive the day and keep the kids alive. See you next time.